With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson live on YouTube on a Monday morning week two review. How you doing, Sam? Doing good, Steve. What about you? Doing great, Sam. That's a lot. Yeah. We got all that out of the way? Yeah. Let's talk some football. It's a nice that he's done. Yeah. We can move on. Let's talk some football. Um, just so you guys know, programming note. Let's start with the programming note. Right okay. now is your week two review, but we've heard the people. Okay. They have demanded more PFF NFL podcast. All right. Millions of them. Millions of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's been so much demand. Phone's ringing off the hook. We're going to do an extra podcast. We don't even on have Wednesday. a phone in the office. Just, 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 just okay. don't worry. People are, people are requesting it. People, people want this. Mm. All right. And if you don't want it, you're getting it anyway. <laughs> so Wednesday, we're going to do an extra podcast. And then Thursday will be our preview. So we have a review. And then Wednesday is going to be more like what we... Pick some bigger topics. Yeah. Maybe answer a mailbag question or two, get into some detail, discuss PFF grading, discuss trends. I mean, it feels like, a, you know, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, you know, those teams. We can dive in a little bit deeper yeah. on Wednesdays. It's a chance to get into stuff that we can't really cover properly when we're reviewing or previewing games. So more kind of general topics that we can hit midweek. Yeah. So hit us up. We've already had many requests. Now, that's not a lie. Many requests on actually what people want to see. So there's a whole bunch of different ways we could slice things on Wednesday. Uh, So just be ready for that. Let's review week two, Sam. Do we go back to the Thursday night game? This uh, It's early in the season. I don't remember how much we do. We actually cover the Thursday night game on the review podcast. We usually touch on it. I don't remember either, but let's let's yeah. Let's do it. Like so the, you can remember that far away. Yeah, this feels like weeks ago. Tampa Bay Bucks beat the Carolina Panthers 20 to 14. Uh, Jameis Winston had a bounce back game. Your prediction was that he was going to look like MVP Jameis. It wasn't quite. It wasn't quite, but statistically it wasn't there because his best throws were dropped. Right. He had a great throw in the end zone that was dropped. Great throw up the sideline 
um, that fell incomplete. His best throws were dropped. I think by the end of the week, he's going to be our top three or four graded quarterback. I don't so think you can call close. it a win. You can call it, you know, push. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not a loss, but it's not a win either, I don't think. The big story coming out of this, though, Tampa Bay, of course, bounces back from a week one loss to go to one and one. But the Carolina Panthers fall to 0-2, and, and everybody's asking what's wrong with Cam. And maybe I'm, I've been a little harsh on Cam through the years. So I did um, tweet at somebody. I said, no, this is the same Cam we've seen every year except 2015. That's, that's harsh. It's not the yeah. same Cam. Um, as a passer, it's the same maddening Cam, though, who can zip. Like, he hasn't lost zip right now. I don't see the ball coming out of his hand poorly. I see the same inaccuracy that we've seen through the years. The difference in Cam is the rushing ability. He's always been able to bridge that gap and in short yardage be a special short yardage runner. You know, a guy that just is so unique and uh, they just don't have that right now. Right. And it, so he, he definitely, I don't, don't think looks right at all. Um, and the discussion is, does he have to change his style now in the latter part, I guess, of his career? Um, does he have to change his style to extend his career and play the same kind of length as everybody else? And if so, can he even do that? Because, you know, what made him such a great uh, or such a unique quarterback was this rushing ability up the middle and what that allowed you to do on offense. If you take all that away, can he still be a dynamic, effective MVP caliber quarterback overall? And I think that's a big question. Now, I know Mike Renner has brought up before the idea that the threat of the run is the important thing, not necessarily the run, right? Right. So if you start using him more like a Russell Wilson, more like quarterbacks that are just able to threaten that without actually doing it that much, he becomes – he's still really valuable, right? You you just need to take away the QB power right up the middle, you know, leading him into a linebacker, basically. Um, But it does require that change. So we've talked a lot about QBs staying healthy. Maybe this is the Wednesday topic. You're I'm right. just going to come up with a bunch because of stuff. they're all broken right now. Maybe th- this is a Wednesday topic, perhaps. Um, we came out with something. So the way things happen in the analytics community, if you think that something matters the most, you focus on that, and then you say something like, everything else doesn't matter, or you make this declarative statement. It's a little bit too black and white sometimes, but we'll, what we came out up with recently was about QBs control their pressure rate. Right, So QBs might be the biggest factor in their pressure rate, but that doesn't mean that the O-line isn't a big factor as well. I mean, they, they have a significant effect as well. I'm going to make a statement about QB health, though. Oh. I think QBs own their injuries. Hmm. QBs are to blame for their injuries, for the most part. Then you have a Drew Brees situation like yesterday that I right. think has nothing to do with him. But that's just like in pressure rate, if you say QBs the number one factor – and then O-line's number two. There are some times where the O-line is to blame. There's some times where the quarterback is to blame. I think overall, the fact that Cam has a foot or ankle injury, whatever he's dealing with, that came from a preseason game when he was in, in, dancing around a clean pocket and hurt himself. The fact that he gets hurt over and over again. Big Ben gets hurt over and over again. Carson Wentz took ridiculous hits yeah. on Sunday Night Football. So that part, A lot I'll, of that is yeah. the quarterback. That part I'll give you. I mean, it's basically the same as the pressure rate, right? Because ultimately hits... Contact for a quarterback is essentially an extension of pressure. So it's the same dynamic at play there. Quarterbacks are largely to blame for their own pressure. On the other hand, you can still have an offensive line that's garbage, and that will massively increase the amount of pressure and therefore hits you take. Um, So they're not obviously solely responsible for it. But I would say I could get on board with the idea that they are more responsible for 
the hits that they take than anything else. Right. And so, to the well, to the point where sometimes other things can overtake that if they are exceptionally at either end of the scale. So either offensive lines being terrible slash brilliant, offensive schemes being terrible slash brilliant at getting the ball out of your hands slash making you hold it. Um, otherwise, it's the quarterback. So that's that's all I want to say. Okay. I think there's there's a lot of that um, at play where everybody's like, well, this poor guy is behind a bad offensive line. I don't think Cam's been sitting behind this disastrous offensive line the majority no. of his career. So two things come out of this weekend for me. Um, one, all the quarterbacks got broken. That's not great. Um, yeah. Usually we go game by game, but should we just hit well, I just want to. I just want just, to – a couple of things that came out of it first, and we can go game by game. Oh, sorry. Two, that um, this – this was like the reason you don't overreact week. You know, week one is overreaction to week one, and then week two is everything swinging back to where you kind of thought it was anyway. Right. Oh, well, yeah. We talked about that before where I tweeted, you know, sometimes week two looks different than week one. Right. This is the perfect example. Yeah. Almost everything swung back to exactly the way you thought it would have been heading into week one. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things like teams that play a road game in week one then get to go home. Yeah. And things change. Or vice versa. I mean, you do have stuff like the Bills being 2-0 and after two road games. And yeah. the Chiefs being 2-0 and after two road 49ers. games. 49ers. The 49ers. They, they didn't even go home. Yeah. In I between. Saw, they yeah. went to like Youngstown or something. I saw that. Oh, that's okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Why didn't Bobby come visit? Yeah, maybe he doesn't like you. I mean, not just me. I mean, he must like somebody else at the office. Does he? I mean, he left. Yeah. A lot of lateral moves leaving PFF to go uh, to the NFL. Of course, he is 2-0 now. Yeah, so is Zach. Right? Yeah. How about that? Huh. Yeah. We were just talking about them ruining, our, ruining the quarterbacks. Right, and suddenly they're 2-0, and both of them. Yeah, they're 2-0. Hmm. Um, I think uh, who is that? New Orleans is doing the same thing because they're, they're going right to Seattle for next week's game. Okay. And Drew Brees yeah, stayed back to make sense. discuss the uh, – to, to discuss his hand. Discuss his hand? Or to – See a hand specialist. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, presumably they're doing things with it rather than just talking about it. Yeah. The um, right. early, early reports are not good. Pick a game. Let's go. Let's, well, let's just go with that one. The Saints at Rams. Okay. Um, and the Drew Brees injury. So, yeah, Drew Brees wrecked his hand. Uh, yes. Teddy Bridgewater came in. Uh, Teddy, it turns out, sucks now. So the Rams won. He didn't look good. No. So I, I, just, I just ground that film. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Ground the film. Yeah. Um, I think if we're talking about a difference in the offense breeze overall throws the ball on the shorter end compared to other NFL quarterbacks, but he obviously knows when to take shots. Yes. And when he throws the ball short, he puts it on his receivers. Teddy at this point, Teddy at this point is Alex Smith. Like he is, he is, I don't think he's as good. Let's not underrate Alex, but he's been thrown into the bucket of pathologically conservative. Like there were questions for a while about was this Teddy? Was this, a product of influences within the offense that were essentially forcing him into permanent checkdown mode. I think now we're reaching the answer that no, 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 that's just him. He doesn't throw deep enough. Yeah, he, he left the shot. He left a few opportunities on the table, and like Alex Smith, he'll also hold the. If you're going to be that quick pass guy, you can't all you can't pick random spots to just hold the ball and take sacks. Yeah, that's Bridgewater as well. You know, taking a few too many sacks, taking a few too many hits, or, you know, so. You've also, if you're going to do that, you really do have to be stupidly accurate. You do. You know? You like, do. And he missed, you know, he missed Kamara in the flat. When they right. did try to go deep, he's overthrowing him. So, I mean, it was just off. The big problem with that style of offense was always that you are asking yourself, 
you are forcing yourself to essentially be perfect the whole time because the second you miss one of those, you're now way behind the eight ball and you're not set up to take that back. You're set up to make sort of seven, eight-yard gains constantly when you suddenly find yourself in second and 10 or yeah. perish the thought second and 15 because it was a penalty. You know, now As there always is every time you try to run the ball in today's NFL. Right. Now... Now you can't. You're just not set up to get 15 yards on, at a time, so you're in trouble. So I, I I don't think it's hopeless going forward. I think with with Sean Payton calling plays, you still have some playmakers to work with, and I think you're going to see more Taysom Hill. Yeah. So one, uh, this was interesting because this is a perfect example of how sometimes stuff just happens. It's not always the quarterback. Like Aaron Donald is coming up the middle, Drew Brees getting a pass away with a guy in his face just happens to like connect hand on hand and even then it's, we see that all the time though we see right. hand and hand, even then yeah. it's like the freaky angle right sometimes right. Some, he was, right sometimes yeah. a body part is just in the wrong position for contact he was pronated right into aaron donald's hand wow you've got like complex words and stuff well yeah you pronate on every throw huh, okay that's turning so, yeah turning out of the thumb was turned in yeah. cracks aaron donald's hand and suddenly he can't hold a ball um and it was legitimately like couldn't pick up the ball like yeah. went went to grab one from the sideline and it just didn't stick in his hand, right? And so then, the the doctors, the football doctors, yeah. around Twitter were guessing UCL strain, sprain, yeah, I mean, whatever it's, it is, it's a thumb ligament. There's only so many things in your thumb, but like, they think it's surgery that surgery is needed. Okay, and it's not one of those like it's one of those you just do a test. And if you fail the test, you know it's an issue. Yeah. So he didn't have to go back. He had x-rays or anything like right. that. That's what, that's what people and everyone, like, are the, assuming. The whole thing on the sideline is, oh, he's got his helmet. Is he ready to come back in? No, he's just trying to hear the call. Like he's got a speaker in his ear. Well, they were saying that? Yeah. Oh. Um, also, by the way, this, this game featured maybe my favorite commentary uh, blunder of the weekend. Joe Buck, quite unironically, suggested that, sure, losing Drew Brees during the game is not ideal, right? But the real hurt to the Saints offense is that now Taysom Hill has to be ready to go back in as the backup quarterback now. So you lose what he brings to the offense as the dynamic X-factor weapon. That's the real body blow to this New Orleans offense, which was crazy. One, because just on the face of it, that's absurd. Uh, Two, Troy agreed with him. Immediately, yeah, it was like, yeah, you're right. That's that's the body blow, not the fact that your Hall of Fame quarterback is now sitting on the bench with a wrecked thumb. Um, and three, because I think the very next play, Taysom <laughs> Hill lined up as a tight end, caught a pass over the middle. So it wasn't even true. Um, <laughs> there was a lot going on there. Yeah, that was fun. So it's kind of funny because I've so hang when, on. when you have Drew Brees, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that the whole Taysom Hill thing. When I have Teddy Bridgewater. I'd probably mix him in a little bit more. The, the, so I don't want to rag on, on Troy and Joe, particularly because yeah, this do. one, particularly because this one came from Sean Payton. So they're just at this point, they're just repeating somebody else's ludicrous statements, not making their own. I know which one this is. But uh, Sean Payton suggested that uh, Taysom Hill is a lot like Steve Young. Steve Young, um, because the one thing you remember from Steve Young during his time when Joe Montana was starting was how much he played tight end and went over the middle. <laughs> um, <laughs> people forget just how good Steve Young was as a passer. People also lose their goddamn minds talking about Taysom Hill. Like he's a fun athlete and does a lot of things to a you know an okay degree, but is he actually good at anything except maybe special teams? So Taysom Hill is a lot like 
just the wildcat in general. I used to always right. hate on the wildcat. He's basically a, a, an anthropomorphization of the wildcat. What? Yeah, I think well, that's a word. I think I got it right. Well, the wildcat is just like a creative way to average four yards per carry. Right. That's what the wildcat is. So Taysom Hill, over the last two years, has averaged 4.4 yards per reception yes. per catch so, and five yards per carry. Five yards per carry is pretty good. But creative ways to essentially average under five yards per play when you have Drew Brees yes. on the field. So that that's the issue. He's got a couple touchdowns here and there, and he made one good throw one time. That's actually an outstanding description. Taysom Hill is the wildcat in human form. Yeah. He is the human wildcat. So then people say, well, then you've got – the defense has to prepare for it. The offense has to prepare for it, too. You have to spend <laughs> practice time on, on Taysom Hill. Uh, so while he's fun, man, we take the fun out of everything. No, PFF. by look, just bringing by I, bringing logic to the table, we look, take the fun out of everything. I, I tweeted this last week. I love seeing it, and I don't care that it's silly, right? But let's let's try and dial back how we describe it. He is not in any way, shape, or form like Steve Young, except for the fact that he's kind of athletic and can move around. That's it, right? Yeah, it is not in any way, shape, or form a blow to the offense if they could no longer use the Taysom Hill trick package, even if they couldn't, and they could because they did. I think we're going to see even more and more of it now. Well, what I was going to ask is how long of Teddy playing at that level before you just throw in Taysom Hill as the quarterback? Now, all that said, yeah, Taysom tore it up that one preseason game. This year, absolutely tore it up. He was hitting throws. He was tough to defend. He's going to pick up. I don't think, plays the, with his I legs. Don't think I mean, gimmick, the gimmick package makes much sense whatsoever, right? But if Teddy continues to suck, like at what point do you go, you know what, just playing Taysom Hill at quarterback causes defenses more problems than check down Teddy? I think they're going to see, honestly, I think it might take one game. I think they're going to see how well they get through a game with more of a They're either going to tell Teddy this week, look, you got to take some more shots, right. or we're going to take advantage of you in Uber game manager role. If you're in Uber game manager role, you've got one of the best possession receivers in the NFL and Michael Thomas. You have Alvin Kamara. We're going to create some mismatches. We'll have the Taysom Hill package for 15 or 20 plays, and we're going to try to piece together offense that way. If they score 10 at Seattle, right. then I think it's going to be Taysom Hill. If they're just like, look, this isn't going to work. We need to hit a seam every now and again. We've got to do something. Yeah. Right? I think they give it a week. But you need a week to you know prep Teddy. I think that's fair. Say he's the starter. Right. I'm not saying you do it now, but at some point, this Teddy Bridgewater thing is looking like a pretty ugly trend now. Like, even when he got thrown into yeah. garbage. Like, all the all the data points have been saying the same thing for a while, but there's always been mitigating circumstances or something else at play. Like, well, yeah, he looked bad, but there was the second-string offensive line, and he was under, you know what I mean? Whereas now it's like, look, at some point you just have to say all of the numbers say this. Yeah. It's, this, this is clearly not, this is not a, a freak you know arrangement of data points this is just what it is it wasn't great the o-lines was worse this week than it was last week but not disastrous um on the other side we done with teddy yeah and the saints Mm -hmm. um also the saints there's just a lot of pressure on their defense now it's just it's a tough situation they still have a good roster they also got boned by the officials again yeah took a took a defensive touchdown off the board that is crazy three weeks in a row yeah three games in a row three games in a row against and against the rams twice what's gonna happen next week I mean, I don't let's, know. let's see. It's against Seattle. I was it's probably some sort of contested <laughs> possession that goes so the wrong way. Cameron Jordan scoops runs like what was it, eighty yards or something for yeah. a touchdown. Was really upset that he had to run eighty yards for nothing. I don't justifiably so. What I was wondering is because they obviously they got the ball right. If you're the officials 
And it's like, oh, man, we, we actually really blew that one. And, like, even when you go to Sean Payton and he's like, what the bleep? Um, and their explanation is just like, yeah, our bad. We just we just blew it dead. Sorry. Right? It's not even, you yeah. know, like sometimes when they're at least arguing something different, you're like, all right, fine. I just have to. You saw it different. Sean, sorry. We missed the pass interference. Sean, right. sorry. We, uh, we, we stole 20 seconds off the play clock <laughs> with 30 like, seconds left. They're just like, no, you're right. Our bad. We screwed up. We, you should have seven more points, right? If you're the officials, what I was wondering is the Saints have the ball now. So they should have just like manufactured, you know, five fake penalties to keep that drive alive until they scored. You know, oh, like, yeah, that would. You that would really play, keep the league on the up and up. You ever play mutant league football where you can like bribe the refs, and no, no. matter no matter what you do, the, the like the official keeps the drive going until the opposition realizes what's going on and murders the ref. That's the difference now, between you and I. You were playing mutant league. I was trying to make Madden the most realistic game possible. I'm not saying that the Rams would have had to resort to murdering the officials, but what I am saying is the officials, you know, they could have found a, a dodgy play here and there. Like, oh look, there's defensive holding. I hope you have another first down, Saints. I hope you're never in charge. Would that not have that would that that's equity? They took seven points off the board. They are going to do everything in their power to put them back on again, just for that drive. Five wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> they do. I think they do. Nothing better than that spotting of the ball on Thursday night. But can you imagine? Yeah, that was amazing. Can you imagine the how much everybody would be losing their minds if they're just like, oh, there's third and ten. Teddy like drops it into the ground again. Oh, there's a defensive holding call. There's a lot of. It's only five yards at a time because Teddy's right. not going to complete a pass more than five. <laughs> You'd have 17 defensive holding a lot penalties. Of flags. All right, you guys are at the five now. Are we good? Are we even? <laughs> yeah, like six penalties in. They'd be like, "Look, come on, tell you what, Teddy. Look, you throw it deep. Put it in the end zone. We'll find defensive pass interference for it. Oh. Just, just take it. We've got to do this more than five yards at a time, Teddy. You got to help us out here. I think that would have been incredible. Chuck one. I'm not at all unfair. That's the beauty of it. How about the Rams? How about the Rams? On their side. Yeah. The O-line, not great. No, again. The, the O-line doesn't look great this year. No, they don't. Um, as, as protected as they get with that play-action scheme, when they do have to spread it out and throw the ball, they're giving up some pressure. The Saints did a really nice job. We've, we've um, been harsh on Marcus Davenport before. Um, I thought he did a nice job rushing the passer. He had a bunch of pressures. Um, we have him with... Six or seven at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, I really liked their third down package with him at nose tackle. He was doing some nice jobs there. Trey Hendrickson coming off the edge. Um, so the Saints got after Goff, and he made some, dropped a diamond to Brandon Cooks early on, but then yeah. made some questionable decisions, including that fumble. He held that ball forever on that fumble, and I don't even know where he was throwing it, to be honest. So there is, you know, Goff looks a tick off. Um, and he's had that maddening up and down as well, you know, missing some throws and then he'll come back and hit what's there and everything. So I think they, you know, the Rams, they're sitting there at two and O, but they need Goff to be a lot more consistent than he's been in that old line to uh, shape up. Cause you've know, got Joseph, no boom, Brian Allen. Those are the new guys. And then Austin Blythe, who got hurt, only played 27 snaps. You know, it was his second year. Some questions with him. Yeah, the O-line is an issue. It's interesting that this this offense doesn't look like it's going to catch fire the way it did last year in terms of just relentlessly throwing up points on everybody. But it doesn't look like teams have figured out how to stop it. So I think we're, we've landed somewhere in the middle of what we were talking about coming into the season. 
which was, has this system evolved or will people figure out how to stop it and right. force them to plan B? And I think we've kind of wound up somewhere in the middle of that, which is teams have a better handle on what they're doing, but they haven't figured out how to stop it entirely yet. I think that's that says a lot about the Rams. It's, the, the Chiefs are similar. Like, the Chiefs had one quarter where they scored yesterday. This was amazing. They 28. Let's pivot to this game now. Well, I just want to finish with the Rams. Okay. They scored 27 in a game that felt like an offensive struggle. Right. Like they still figured out a way. And that was the same last week. Like, last week, they right. put up 30 in the Panthers in a game that felt like they were really making hard work. And that it. shows how good of an offense yeah. they have. All right. The, the Chiefs City. thing. This is maybe the most amazing statistic of the week. That the Raiders held the Chiefs scoreless for three quarters and lost by 18. Yeah. How? What? That's amazing. Like, yeah. they held the Chiefs scoreless for three quarters, which, uh, when was the last time that's happened? Not, I mean, pre Mahomes, right? Oh, yeah. That's insane. But they had a 28-point second quarter where Mahomes <laughs> threw for 270 yards. Yes. Now, he had a negated 72-yarder. Uh-huh. So he threw for 443, and I think with negated plays, which, you know, doesn't always tell the full story, but with negated plays, he threw for like 540. Yes. Including that 72-yarder that was negated. That was, I mean... And for the second straight week, Mahomes missed. He still missed a bunch of throws yeah. and had a bad fumble that ha- you know we have to put on him. So he doesn't have, I don't think he has an interception, but he's got two bad fumbles in two weeks. But it really is like watching Madden because he's throwing the ball down the field 20% of the time. And, and, he's, and there's a lot of open throws down the field. And he's just chucking it. He's just chucking it deep and they're making plays even without Tyreek Hill. It just it reminds me still so much of that '98 Vikings, where it's like it's it's exactly the same thing. In that, yeah, sure, you can keep them quiet for three quarters, and then bam, they just explode for a ton of points, and didn't matter. Um, that's what they're doing. It's like it's absurd how easy they make some of this stuff look. Now the Raiders were a massive architect of their own demise in terms of. It didn't seem like they understood that teams could attack deep down the field a lot of the time. Like all those, there was so many well, there was a coverage. There was a coverage the bust, but it's also guys like just getting beat by a step and Mahomes is putting it on them. It was a mix of both. Yeah, but there's like, you've got stuff where it's, there's a safety one-on-one against a guy running a yeah, like a corner post route. That's just, I mean, that's yeah. 10 yards, five yards wide open. But it's a disaster. It's it's a combination of so many different things, though. The Chiefs, I mean, Romo did a nice job showing it. They've got trips to one side, and then they're going to throw a back in motion to essentially put four receivers to the same side. Secondary can't communicate wide open guy up the seam. So you've got – so that, that, that's kind of like the Rams here, right? You've got this combination of there are guys who know how to get open. You have yeah. Travis Kelsey, and you have guys who are pretty good at receiving. Then you have the scheme creating open throws, and then you have Patrick Mahomes hitting big-time throws. And if you're if you're a Chiefs diehard and you're just lamenting that you could have scored seventy, every single week there are games where it's like, wow, you could have scored seventy. Like if like Mahomes will miss two or three open throws, but then he'll squeeze in a couple other ones to kind of make up for it. And at the end of the day, you're like, man, if everything went our way, we scored fifty five. Yeah, I mean, this is this is so far the start of the season has been fantastic for the Chiefs because one, yes, Patrick Mahomes might regress statistically a little bit. But it's marginal if it happens at all. Yeah. He still looks absolutely phenomenal. Last year was not a fluke. Um, but the best thing is he's in one of the best, if not the best, systems in the NFL. Like this scheme is as good as anything else out there at putting people 
in open uh, positions, getting people open, scheming um, guys into favorable situations, simply putting defenses into tough spots, into awkward matchups and stressing their rules and coverages and their communication, all that kind of stuff. And Tyreek Hill isn't playing yet. Yeah, he's not even here yet. Right. Like, this is terrifying for any other team. Again, the only thing that matters for this team is whether the defense gets better and can hold up his end of the, its end of the bargain like last year. By the now, way, Mahomes, 10 for 15 for 389 on deep passes this year. 20-plus yard passes. 10 for 15 for 389 in five touchdowns. Yeah. What's just saying. Now, it did well against the Raiders. The Raiders look pretty terrible. Um, but the Raiders, th- this is what's maddening. I, I've used that. Uh, stop it. I used that word three times so far today. Not maddening. This is what's maybe frustrating. If you're an Oakland Raiders fan watching the Chiefs, you're like, man, our defense is flying around here in the first quarter. They're making plays. They look great. And then Mahomes just starts chucking pinpoint deep, deep passes the whole second quarter. Yeah. And then you're done. Yeah. But the Raiders, like, overall played pretty well defensively. They did a nice job, Yeah, but I guess. So the Chiefs' defense is the thing that needs to step yes. up, yes. like last year, because it's going to be the... It's basically going to determine whether they have a shot at the Super Bowl or not, again, like last year. It just needs... It doesn't need to be good. It just needs to not be as bad as the offense is good. Right. Um, worryingly, it still seems to be basically Chris Jones and not that much else. It's maddening. It is, yeah. Like, why <laughs> has Frank Clark not been able to win against what is not a good slate of players he's played so far. Because Frank Clark was an overrated player. He was, but he was still a good him. player. Like, he hasn't even played good against bad. Yeah. That's a problem. He was a very overrated pass rusher. Chris Jones had 58% of their pressures yesterday. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Uh, for, particularly, again, for an interior player. Like, edge rushers are supposed yeah. to be the guys getting the pressure. Frank Clark didn't get anything. Um, and Chris Jones was the guy doing everything himself again. That needs to change. Like, they can't... They're not going to be able to win on defense with just Chris Jones, almost regardless of how well he plays. Yeah, I think when and if the Chiefs start, you know, when and if they lose some games, it's the secondary is going to get picked on. Javarius Ward and Rashad Breeland, you know, they, they get picked on at some point. And um, the pass rush is too dependent on Chris Jones. If Frank Clark's not going to step up, don't forget they lost D Ford and Justin Houston. Right. Who, even though everybody seems to think that Frank Clark's a better player than them, for him to play at the same level that they did last year, he'd have to have a career year. Yes. Frank Clark, I think, is a better player overall than D. Ford. Better overall player. Though he hasn't had a season like D. Ford's last year. Yep. There's no way Frank Clark has ever been a better player than Justin Houston, a healthy Justin Houston. Right. Like, Frank Clark's... The only way Frank Clark is better than Justin Houston is in terms of durability, maybe. Yeah. And that's only because he hasn't been broken yet. Like, Justin Houston was a vastly superior player who got hurt a lot, and they eventually had to move on. But, you know, Frank Clark, I, either way, he should be and needs to be better than he's been so far. Uh, weird game on the other side for Derek Carr. Two interceptions that were like, you know, you chalk him up to miscommunications, not being on the same page. You've got to trust your receiver. One where the receiver just gets owned on a fade. He's really got to do a better job there. Yeah. The well, receiver. The receiver does. Right. Like, but then on the sl- then there's a slant for an interception. Yeah. Where D- Derek Carr threw to the pick guy. Well, he's trusting the sl- right. He's th- the slant is going has to go through a linebacker, and he's throwing it before he even gets to the line. I mean, the timing of it was but that's just like that, off. that that route combination is set up to free the other guy. The other guy, right? So right. The, I mean, charitably, that's a misread. 
your worst. Yeah, that's just terrible. Otherwise, but the the fade thing. One, I don't know why people are still throwing end zone fades. They're such a terrible, terrible route to ever throw. I'd give maybe one shot to who. I would only do it if I had a guy that I was confident in being able to moss the opposing cornerback. Yeah. And even then, I don't think it's a good percentage play. I'd only be taking it if somebody was specifically taking away the slant. About 30% of fades are caught, by right. the way. Like, if you've got a guy, yeah. if you've got a cornerback and he's lined up like a yard and a half inside leverage and saying, under no circumstances are you coming inside in this ISO route, then I might throw a, sl- uh, a fade or a back shoulder or something, right? Otherwise, don't do it. It's a bad play. It's never going to work. Well, the alternative is you, you get in tight and you run play action, and we see wide open throws schemed up yeah. all the time. I would I would try to scheme something. So it's a it's a terrible thing to be doing in the first place. But if you're gonna do it, you need your at the very minimum, the receiver needs to work on the basis that I you're you're not catching this ball. I might not catch it either, but the corner is definitely not catching it. Right. Like if I have to tackle this guy in midair and give away a penalty, that's fine. But you're not picking it off. Tyrell Williams just gets owned at the line of scrimmage and just stops just watches it corner just backpedals catches it like that's absurd yeah it wasn't good like receivers should under no circumstances allow that to happen but yeah i'd be more concerned you know again week two kind of solves things after week one we're like hey do the raiders actually have some playmakers Derek carr is he going to stay hot i mean yeah they scored 10 points against the chiefs at home against the defense that we're saying could hold the Chiefs back mm-hmm. this year. Darren so Waller it's not still great. looks okay, though. Yeah, Darren Waller did have a nice game. Um, so Josh I think Jacobs made some plays as well, but obviously because he's a running back, it didn't matter. No. It mattered for my fantasy team, though. Yeah. Well, that's something. Yeah. It's a big key player. My dynasty league. Okay. That's dynasty, if you guys are American. <laughs> so the Chiefs are, are still awesome. Let's discuss Vikings-Packers. Oh, God. This was horrendous by the Vikings offense. Yeah. I thought our numbers were wrong, but Kirk. Now, this isn't to absolve Kirk Cousins, but just for perspective, he's been under pressure 60% of his dropbacks. That's like yeah. almost twice as high as the league average. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the interior of this offensive line became a problem when they went up against a better defensive front. Almost. You've got them nailed. Garrett Bradbury is not off to a good start in his Ooh. career. What's interesting is that not. they brought in uh, Dakota. Dakota Dozier yeah. because uh, Elfline went down hurt and he was definitely better than Elfline. It was still really bad. Yeah. That's how bad their offensive line is right now. You know who's awesome though? I nailed this one. Who? Dalvin Cook. He really is. I told you he's awesome, man. Of course, being a running back, it didn't matter. Uh, no, it certainly doesn't matter. But, it, you know, this was, it was funny because what? Green Bay scored in their first drive or certainly scored first. first two. Um, and it yeah. was like, all right, the game is already ruined for Mike Zimmer. You can no longer just run the ball yeah. 58 times and get out of there. They still snuck Dalvin uh, 20 carries. He had the 75-yard touchdown. Right. They still, I mean, between Dalvin and, you know, Madison got a few as well. They still were not prepared to abandon the run at any point no. in this game. Um, and it it almost worked. Like, they actually got back to the point where I don't think you can say they should have won the game, but they probably should have taken the lead had Kirk Cousins not thrown a hideous interception into the end zone. Um, the turnover-worthy plays that Cousins threw or had, multiple fumbles. So a fumble on a scramble, yeah. a fumble on a sack. Uh-huh. Both just terrible ball security. Um, the interception into the back of the end zone. So he had the interception into the back of the end zone. He had the interception over the middle of the field where he tried to throw the ball through four Packers. Yeah. So the thing about Cousins, and then, you know, I'm watching people like to say, well, he checks down too much and he does this and that. 
there are plays like that. I mean, he uh-huh. had this one that was perfectly designed, deep crosser. I think it was uh, Diggs he had isolated on the free safety, had him wide open. And this is why we like to say sometimes the defense is dependent on the offense. As great as the Packers' defense has played through two weeks, I mean, if Cousins just hits this deep crosser, you know, that changes things. And you, you just and it's like a couple plays that change things. And he checked it down. Yeah. So Diggs, uh, this is like this is the game in a nutshell that Spacey Cousins. Like this game was Kirk Cousins. You've summed him up, right? I mean, it's cousin. like there's not overall. It's like good decision, good decision, good decision. And then might, if in a bad day, there's six or seven. Yeah. But in a, in a normal day, there's a couple where it's like, what do you think? How could you be so good at these other uh, on these other plays, and then just not see the field or not under, or or just randomly decide to be aggressive when you shouldn't be. Randomly decide to be conservative when you shouldn't be. Right. That was the him yesterday. It's so it's it's maddening, Steve. Um, That's four. And it, even in this game, there were some nice plays in there, and you know they're they're getting back into into contention. And then, well, even so, the the forty five yard touchdown. Yeah, we were sitting there watching it. Right. I don't even know if that was a good throw. That Jair Alexander. This was you know my favorite play in football where the corner right. inches be, from replaces. That he up. got his hand on it. He actually, Cousins hung it up there enough that the corner, I wish we could draw on Parker here, you know? Probably could, but we don't be drawing on our own logo. We can't. So you got cover three. So if there's a free safety here in the middle of the field, and the cover three corners over here, this was Jair. The free safety jumped a route, and Jair had to replace the free safety. Yeah. And Cousins hung it up there enough that Jair on the other side of the field actually got his fingertip on the ball, and then it ended up getting caught by Diggs, um, which, you know, should have been... A touchdown, yeah, or an easy, easier touchdown. So even that play, their biggest play, was a little. This is we're back to this idea of this is the game that Kirk Cousins is here for, right? I don't. He's not there to be great all the time. He's there because he's capable of bringing them back from a big deficit against a good team on the road. The way this game was, he and they they were set. They ended up doing it. They got in a position where they needed the quarterback to make those plays, and instead he tosses the ball to a Packers defender in the back of the end zone it was or bad. fumbles it away. And it's, You tried to throw another pick, too, on a corner route that was forced. I mean, he was and, just completely right. off. And the way we talked about Teddy before, where at some point the data is the data, like at, this, at some point Kirk Cousins can't win these games because he just keeps doing stupid things. It's like I, I, I'm, I'm fine with this idea of, he will probably always be slightly too harshly looked at because he's being judged against that monster contract, right? Yeah. But at some point, you need to win one of these games. One of them. Any of them. Right? Because you're clearly capable of doing this. You just don't do it when it matters the most. He's like anti-clutch. He's like the reverse Tom Brady. Like when the thing matters most, Kirk Cousins is almost certain to do something stupid and cost his team the game. He'll offset this later in the year. Right, with a, a bad team, yeah, he's going to yeah. throw for 440. Yeah. Th- you'll go 30 for 38 for 440 and four picks. Right. At the end of the year, he'll have a 98 pass rate. Turn a 15-point win into like a 28-point win. Um, the other thing to come out of this game is, so far, all the ability to review pass interference has done is to find offensive pass interference on easy touchdowns. Yeah. It's done it a couple of times Oh, now. pick plays right. or rubs. It is, it is manufacturing... Okay offensive pass interference on otherwise clean, you know, pick play, rub play, the kind of stuff that happens every single game constantly. So it took a touchdown off the Maybe board here. Maybe that's a whole Wednesday topic to about the pass interference rule that I hate talking about rules. I know you do. 
I hate it. But Sorry, it, it took a touchdown off the board to Diggs earlier in this game, right? Because Dalvin Cook ran into a couple of defenders um, during his. But this is like, how hard is it to disguise that you're trying to pick somebody? Just like run well, the, the thing route. is, it's it's back to this. This is what the NFL hates, right? This is the irony with all their messing up of rules. Is the NFL absolutely hates putting uh, judgment calls in the hands of officials, yeah. right? Because at some point he's going to make the wrong judgment. And then the whole system looks like a sham. So in order to try and stop that happening, they create the most idiotic black and white scenarios that are way worse than just allowing judgment, allowing judgment to run its natural course and accepting that somewhere along the line, someone's going to make a bad judgment call. Right. So they create these absurd black and white situations that are patently far worse than that uh, to avoid that. But the thing about those plays picks, rubs, that kind of stuff, is it's inherently a judgment call. Because in theory, you are allowed to run your route wherever you want. And if it gets in the way of a defender, unlucky. But you're not allowed to go and block that guy. Right. There is- so at some point, somebody's got to make the judgment of, was he trying to run a route that happened to pass through the body of a defender? Right. Or was he trying to block the defender? There were two offensive pass interference in the Patriots games. One, uh, Patriots game, one was reviewed. It was Josh Gordon. That one looked like, I mean, he was running a slant into a defender. Mm-hmm. So that looked more reasonable, like you're running a route. And then there was, um, I can't remember if it was Izzo, it was one of the tight ends. I mean, he went straight at a guy and like right. threw, a, I, threw a forearm shiver at him. It's like, okay, and that wasn't reviewed, but it's like, okay, that's a clear But a huge amount of this is just acting from the offense. From the oh, offense, absolutely. Right? Like, and the thing is, when you run a route, like if you're going to run into a guy, it's instinct to put your hands up and like shove him out of your way. Sometimes you get that real extreme, like I'm going to run into you. And sure, just, but hey, like get the ball. But if you're running into a guy, it is not instinctive to essentially run face first into him and then f- like you know flop to the floor. Right. right. That is actually the ironic thing about it is the thing that will sell the fact that you're running a route involves doing the thing that comes unnaturally to you. So you will yeah. sell it if you run face first into a guy and then like flail to the ground. You know, I couldn't do then, anything. What then the I guy do? will go, "No, that's fine. He was he was running his route. That was that's natural, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you did what actually comes natural to you, you would run into a guy. You would realize just before you're about to hit him that you're about to run into a guy, and you'd throw your hands up to get him out of your way and make sure you don't run face first into him. And then they go, "Oh, look, he's blocking him. Penalty. Like that's <laughs> the natural thing to do. It's actually ironically creating a situation where in order to sell." that it was natural. You need to do something dramatically unnatural. Yeah, it's it's awkward. It's just an awkward So particularly rule. if you're a running back, right? Like Dalvin Cook was the guy getting pinged. He's running like a slant in tight to the formation. He, more than any receiver, is going to be more naturally inclined to like throw his hands up and shove somebody out of his way because that's kind of his gig. Right. Um, I versus think it, just like running. Yeah, it's just silly. Like, it, puts, it puts a lot more pressure on the... Uh, coaches reviewing things like um dan quinn challenged one early in the first quarter it would have been like a six yard penalty on their own 15 yard line and it was a bang bang play on julio jones now he was right yeah like probably should have been overturned but it's also one of those where it's like man like the payoff's just not just this not is worth also, it here if i'm going to lose a whole challenge right. and this is clearly not what the rule is supposed to do the rule is supposed to achieve this idea of that was a horrendous blown call fix it 
Well, the rule was not supposed to right. be nobody here is looking for that play, but I found a pick. Well, maybe so don't the touchdown react. comes off the board. I don't know. Maybe don't react to one play. Either way, they need this to fix was, this, this whole. This wasn't just one play. This There was a couple. Just yesterday. I mean, the Saints. Of... This is reaction to the right. Saints play. Yeah, yeah. But and, I, I don't even have a problem. Like, I, I think that's fine, right? If that's all you're there to achieve, let's just fix the horrendous miscalls. I always say go to Twitter. Look, if, if Twitter is that upset, if they, they thought Twitter thought Dez caught the ball, Twitter knew who had the contested pe- possession between the Seahawks and Packers. Twitter knew it was pass interference. Like, they just get just need, the need, headquarters at the NFL yeah. is just surfing Twitter, and they're checking their timeline, and they're like, man, people are upset. That's a judgment Make this call, call as well, though, because you, you can get Twitter to say pretty much anything if you – you know, if you're in the wrong. Well, you don't tell people that's what you're doing. No, no, no. But if you're in you like the You have to create wrong... some fuzzy rule like we're just going to, you know. The catch rule, I always like the idea of sticking an old granny in the booth. You just ask the granny, did he catch that? And he goes, she goes, well, of course he did. Yep, catch. It was simple. You just ask some old person that knows nothing about the rules. Did he catch the ball? Yes or no? She like, says yes. It's a catch. It's like a focus group. Right. She says no. It's not a catch. It's granny, simple. Granny's experienced. You know, she's well, seen she a lot knows. in her day. This is the thing, right? Well, the beauty of it is if you don't tell them what the rules are, you just ask, did he catch it? It's simple because everyone knows what a catch is until you hmm. start applying absurd black and white NFL rules to it. You have a lot of stupid ideas, but I like this one. Thank you. Where are Packers, we going now? Packers defense real quick. Oh, okay. Let's give them credit. You know what Mike, like what Mike Pettin does, that whole um, Rex Ryan type of tree? Yeah. They, they, they just have creative ways of rushing four, right? Like creative ways of just getting into just a simple four-man rush so you don't hurt the coverage on the back end. They seemed like they had Minnesota very confused. Any of guys like Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry winning up fronts, Darius Smith, they're getting a ton of pressure through a couple weeks. And as much as we're trashing Kirk Cousins, you know, it, it was this mix, right? It was like as soon as he had an open receiver, he missed him. As soon as he's, you know, got a clean pocket, nobody's getting open. It is one of those things where if you just look at the offense as a whole, it's like this play pressure screwed it up. This play the quarterback screwed yeah. it up. This play nobody got open. It is this combination of everything. What I really like about Petten as opposed to Rex Ryan's way of doing it is Ryan would achieve that through actually sending crazy people all over the place. So like you could never know yeah. which four were coming because it would be a safety from the left, it would be a corner from the right. You never know where the fourth guy was going to be, right? right? But you knew at some point somebody crazy was going to be coming on a blitz and where that defense started to fall over was when teams started to figure out how to read it, and right. suddenly now you've got a hot route into the open space and you're wide open. Petten is able to do it by threatening that without actually sending those guys very often. Like yeah, he so doesn't he, send, he only blitz 10 out of 35 dropbacks. Yeah, and he doesn't send those defensive backs very often. Now, he does send them, but it's very few and far between, just enough to keep you guessing and enough to make you think it's happening all the time, but not enough for it to actually expose the back end of his D. So he only blitzed on those 10 out of 35, and when he did not blitz, Kirk Cousins had a passer rating of 35.1 right. to back up and no, so point. So Adrian, credit the Packers. Adrian Amos was the only non-standard pass rusher to rush more than once. Yeah. So like everyone else was a standard pass rusher, but there were enough threats to make the Vikings offensive line just pee itself and collapse in a little puddle. Is that what happened? Yeah, pretty much. Aaron Rodgers had a nice bounce back game. But we're still seeing him hold the ball. It took too long. And they almost blew the game because he got conservative. They scored 14 right off the bat. But he got conservative at the end and, you know, took some sacks and just, you know, there was... There was a couple of weird things in this, right? One, his even when he was 
getting the things done earlier, his ball location still sucked. It didn't matter because well, everyone was wide open. The touchdown was nice. He threw that up and away from coverage. Mm-hmm. And he had another nice pass late in the game up and away. Right. It was a lot of routine passes that were just in bad places, right? Yes. Guys having to reach back here. Like, that was the Bears game on Thursday night. Right. So this, is ha- this has been happening for a while. It didn't matter in this game because the coverage was so bad early in the game that he was the, the adjustments still worked, right? This is the Josh Allen theory. Right. Where if you get guys to get that wide open – doesn't matter how off the target it is because he can adjust and still catch it yeah, before the completion's gets to him. more important than right. the ball location. But I didn't understand why they stopped scoring because the Vikings, um, they had nobody that can cover on the back end. Like they have a base, they're in a weird situation where in a league that's trending ever more to nickel and dime, their base defense is really strong, but their depth is so bad. That when they had to go to nickel and dime, you could manufacture a terrible matchup for that defense immediately by just putting somebody in the slot. Right. Almost anybody. Um, like they are down, um, they're down Mackenzie Alexander. So they're playing guys like J. Ron Curse in the slot. And like J. Ron Curse is, he's like a safety. He's, yeah. he's got no business playing the slot against short, slift, shifty receivers. You cover tight ends a little bit. But right. Yeah. But when you move Devontae Adams into the slot and say, yeah, have fun, J-Ron, like, that's terrible. Yeah, not the good. Packers did that right at the start. They got horrible matchups by the Vikings. Now, Curse, by the way, actually played reasonably well in this game. But my point is, it's just like that's a horrible matchup that should be relentlessly exploited until they come up with a way of stopping it. The Packers manufactured that horrible matchup a couple of times scored a ton of points and then for some reason we're unable to keep doing it for the rest of the game why i don't know why did they stop i mean literally this the the they either had a third linebacker which in today's nfl is just curtains for coverage or curse playing the slot who's like a 6'4 215 pounds safety slash defensive back hybrid maybe Matt LaFleur gets a lot of credit as a play caller, and a lot of times as a play caller, we, we, we use these black and white terms. Do you use play action? Do you use motion? Do you use this, this, and this? Maybe he's not a great adjuster, in-game adjuster. Maybe. I mean, if we talk about the best play callers, Andy Reid adjusts, right? Josh McDaniels. I mean, you hear all these behind. Sean Payne. All these guys know how to adjust, plus you have the quarterback to execute it. Um, Rodgers is still, by the way, leaving up, leaving open throws. Mm-hmm. over the middle of the field and you know inviting too much pressure but maybe Lafleur is not able to adjust yeah. as well well the thing but is the Packers have scored 31 points in two games and they're 2-0 but the weird thing is he like it's he actually had to somebody had to adjust away from this because they they were on the thing that they needed to be earlier yeah. in the game and then way away from it. yeah I don't know when when people last week one last thing in this game before we run away to something else when people last week were like what an amazing job Xavier Rhodes did against Julio Jones, shut him down. And you're like, well, he did. He played well. But if you look at the tape, there's a lot of plays that, you know, either he had help or he was kind of open and they just never had a shot to go there. This week, largely went against Devontae Adams. Uh, six targets to Devontae in Rhodes' coverage. Six catches, 85 yards. Uh, and then one for one for Geronimo. So overall, Xavier Rhodes gave up seven catches for 93 yards, which is every pass that went his way. So we're still, I think the jury is still out on whether Rhodes <laughs> has problems or not uh, this season. It's funny because we think that the Vikings defense is kind of regressing a little bit, even though it hasn't necessarily shown up on the scoreboard Yeah, through two weeks. And that's scary. 
if it's going to put that much more pressure on the passing offense at some point down the line. I mean, I think their depth is a major question mark at this point. Yeah. Their starting 11 is really good, and even then, it's kind of tilted towards a base defense. We've and if been you spread them creeping out, toward that for a couple right. of years now. If you spread them out and force them into sub-packages, now you've got some real issues that they haven't fixed. Something to keep an eye on. Where do you want to go next? Uh, are we going to go rapid fire at any point, or are we just going to be here for five hours? Well, let's try and speed some. Let's go to a game that where we right. really there isn't much to say. Patriots forty three, Dolphins zero. There you go. This the is, Dolphins are sad. They really are. They this is so sixes. so so upsetting. Like it was just miserable. Um, the Dolphins offense just doesn't have a shot right now. Yeah, um, I still think defensively they've they've got enough players to. Be reasonable. Some of the passes that Fitzpatrick is attempting is just like I understand you're in kind of a no win situation, which is like we're we're way behind. Like we're just trying to do something, but come on, like what are you doing? Like the picky through to Gilmore, that was bad. Like what? What? Then Rosen came in and did classic Rosen stuff. He drops two dimes in there. One fell incomplete. Well, both fell incomplete. One was dropped. I mean, it is, it is bad. When yeah. they throw a good pass, dropped. Yeah. When they throw a bad pass, pick sick. I mean, it's it's a disaster. Um, but Rosen did some good, some bad. It's probably time to just see him. The thing about tanking, though, is like it doesn't matter how bad you lose. A loss is a loss. All you need is the loss. I mean, Rosen is a compl- in a complete no-win situation. The best he can do is look slightly better than Fitzpatrick. Which is disastrous. He makes. He still. I don't like the way he makes pressure look worse. I, I mean, don't either. But there's some questions. But everything him. is so bad with this offense. You there's no way of looking good, right? You could put almost anybody back there, and there's no way he's coming out of this looking good. Yeah. So the best thing Rosen can do for his own career is not play. Just sit there, get out, find yeah. a way of not being in Miami next year, and hopefully your NFL career is still salvageable. Nothing you do this year can do you any good whatsoever. So the Patriots have outscored opponents seventy-six to three. Through two games, Mink have played well, having uh, been run on the, defense, being Good on the uh, being yeah. on the trade block now. Yeah. Get himself in the shop window, yeah. You know, show a, what you can do. Be a patriot in two weeks. Um, Miami has to play Dallas next week. That line is it's worse I than think the Patriots. George game. called it. It's like twenty. It's twenty plus. Yeah, because it's in Dallas, right? Because right. yeah, because now they're on the road. This was eighteen. They've and a half, been at I think. home twice. The Patriots almost did they cover the over themselves in this game? Oh, I don't even know what it was. Because um, the line was like 18 and a half. And that That's was only because, you know, it was in Miami and sometimes New England struggle in Miami. Now they're going to Dallas having been waxed. Like, this is oh, Miami are just depressing. Can only get better from here, Dolphins. Really? Because it could probably oh, yeah, get worse it, next no, week. I don't know. Well, maybe with Dallas, it could get worse. How about Dallas against Washington? Dak tore it up again. And yeah, they. Continue to look like a Super Bowl contender. They do. This team is good. Um, couple and w- so what's interesting is Amari Cooper is not playing particularly well, which is not great timing for him, given that he's one of the people still trying to get a contract out of Dallas, one of the three people in the building that still hasn't been paid. Um, he had the deep. He had a touchdown yesterday, so people think he had a good game. But Michael Gallup is playing really well, and Devin Smith is making plays. I know that's your boy. Dude, I Our love. Boy. Look, I really like Devin Smith. I would take all of the first round speed reclamation projects. Philip Dorsett in New England. If John Ross came free and I'm a contender, I would try to make something of him. I'm all about making something of Devin Smith. But Devin Smith's thing is he got back to back ACLs. Yep. Like he just had an injury disaster to start his career. Um, 
And now he's back. He actually looks like a useful player. I really liked him coming out of the draft and back to back ACLs for any kind of like skill position guy, particularly receiver where it's already a rough, bumpy transition to the NFL because of all the stuff that's different and more complex. Like that's a really rough ask. And, you know, no, I don't think there's any, you don't, you couldn't blame a team for moving on after that. But I, I agree a hundred percent that I think it's great to see another team take a shot. And like, he made a couple of big plays in this game, had a, like a 45 yard touchdown, something like that. Yeah. Um, he could be a legitimate, real weapon in this offense particularly if the offense continues to play as well as it's been like he's a valuable member of a receiving core now again i just uh the dallas play calling it is like kellen moore is a uh football twitter guy and is just like yeah this is how i would call an offense run play action Dak has run the most play action in the nfl 43 percent of his snaps you want to hear his stats on play action sure 25 for 27. That's pretty good. 25 for 27. Yeah. Four touchdowns. So four touchdowns and two incompletions. 333 yards. That's 12.3 yards per attempt. Mm. And a passer rating of 157.6. Now, Jimmy G has a perfect passer rating on play action, but it's like 15 for 19, three touchdowns. He had some big plays. But Dak going 25 for 27 on play action. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Pretty Particularly solid. when their play action is not the same as San Francisco's play action, where it's you know all that crazy, um, hard outside zone stuff that schemes tight ends coming back against the grain wide open. Right, like Dallas is is more conventional play action, and yet still evidence that you don't have to like build the entire thing around this outside zone. Like it's it's actually better to make the argument that play action just works because you know they're not doing all this crazy. I mean, I'm not crazy, but they're not doing all this dramatic outside zone action stuff. No, and the they're not, and not, they're not running Zeke into the line 17 times before right. they do it. So, um, so Dallas is like right now the modern football Twitter loves them often. I mean, they are checking all the boxes mm-hmm. once again. They're going to destroy Miami next week, likely. Yeah, and then at some point they got to get challenged. Yeah. Um, they'll be challenged again and we'll see what, what, what they're made of. Also in the news of receivers that I like doing well, Terry McLaren is maybe their best receiver already. This is going to be our weekly. Hey, Washington lost again, but let me tell you about Terry McLaurin. Well, seriously, he's like their number one receiver no, I already. Know. I know um, he's, he's legit. Right. And the other thing that's interesting is that Donald Penn is back. Like he's kind of good. Amazing. When you keep him at left tackle. Right. And well, that's kind of huge for them because obviously they still don't have Trent Williams. And in any other situation, that would be catastrophic. By the way, but um, they lucked into Donald. Well, they you know, you know, I could see New England maybe trying to grab Donald Penn real quick. Isaiah Wynn, we didn't talk about this, but because the Patriots won by a million. Donald Penn or Trent Williams? Donald Penn or Trent Williams, either of them. Some Somebody. Isaiah Wynn went down after 12 snaps. Did you see Marshall Newhouse is playing left tackle with uh, Corey Cunningham playing right tackle? Marshall's a good Twitter follower, so I don't, I don't want to trash him too much, but... He has not graded well through no, the years. No, it wasn't great. But uh, he was uh, he was poor yesterday. Well, so look at that. the play of Donald Penn, I think, should be making teams or should be making the Redskins significantly more amenable to trading Trent Williams. Yeah. So like the big thing heading into the season is not we're not trading him because like what's our plan, right? We need him. We're not trading him. We think he'll come around eventually. Now, if you assume that a as the weeks go by, the confidence that this will all blow over has to be waning 
and B, the fact that Donald Penn does appear to be actually a useful uh, backup solution to that, I would say that now the Washington has to be significantly more open to doing a deal than they were heading into the season. Are, are we already at the point where you've got teams that are going to be sellers? Uh, I, I mean, mean, I'm like obviously Miami is a fire sale, so anybody who wants anything, call them up. The problem is they don't have anything. You know, does Carolina start looking at the Wednesday pod? What, yeah. what are these 0-2 teams? But do? for Washington, I think legitimately, just in the Trent Williams thing, like yeah, there's they, something they there. didn't want to move him heading into the season. I would say after two weeks, they are significantly closer to wanting to move him if an offer comes in. And hey, New England, you just lost your left tackle. That makes a lot of sense. So Dak's running a ton of play action. They're tearing it up. Baltimore Ravens, second most play action in the NFL, Lamar Jackson. So the two most efficient quarterbacks this year. Actually, there's three really efficient quarterbacks this year. Dak, Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. probably sitting atop statistically and output-wise. And they're all just scheming it up and executing. It's that combination. And so it's not taking anything away from the quarterback. But when you get that mesh of play caller and Lamar Jackson throwing the ball accurately, dropping dimes when he needs to, he still missed. That's the thing. It's like the Mahomes thing. If you're... If you're a Baltimore fan and you're like, man, Lamar, we could have scored 45 again. He's leaving open right. throws. He missed a couple open throws this week. Now, he hit ones when he needed to, but there were still a couple plays left on the table. But this is this is the Lamar that we said. This is like high-end Lamar, right? It's, it he's, is. He's never going to become Tom Brady or Drew Brees when it comes to accuracy. He doesn't need to be, though, because he brings other things that they don't. All he needs to do is to be able to make some of those throws, um, you know, make the occasional tight window throw and take advantage of the ones that are wide the hell open. Um, you know, just don't miss those ones because those are the really easy ones. And even when he did, he still comes back. That Marquise Brown right. sealed so the deal. I mean. Unreal. So you need to be able to take advantage of the wide open ones. And then every now and again, you're going to need to hit one of those tight window throws. If you can do that, you're, you don't need to be um, as accurate as a Drew Brees because you do stuff on the ground with your legs that those guys can't dream of. So somewhere in there is a balance. And this, I think, through two weeks is like the highest end of what we expected Lamar was capable of, right? Yep. We're I mean, seeing him make some of those absolute di- tight window dime passes deep down the field. We're seeing him, by and large, take advantage of all the wide open schemed ones that his rushing threat creates and that offensive system creates. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you're seeing Lamar play as well as any quarterback in the NFL through two weeks. 77 yards on designed runs. So they, they opened that up a little bit. <coughs> you missed the cough button. I, I pressed the cough button. It just came, didn't do anything. came through. Yeah. It came through. I heard it. No, it definitely, yeah. Good Everybody, thing, I think, heard it. Good um, thing we're not live. But I believe that's a problem with the cough button rather than my <laughs> implementation of the cough button. Cough button. It's just not connected properly. Um, Lamar's also doing a really good job of figuring out when to scramble. As we were saying when he comes out, he's not a guy that just runs around and makes plays, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't. He's not a scrambler, so to speak. Can he? Obviously. So 46 yards on five scrambles. He's doing a really nice job of picking his spots. So, yeah, he rushed for over 100, over 120, threw for 270. Yeah. I mean, this is what people thought Michael Vick was going to be doing right when he got into the NFL. I mean, so... Quarterbacks like him are endlessly fascinating because people are all over the place when they when it comes to projecting him, right? You're going to have people that hate him. You're going to have people that think he's amazing. You're going to have people in the middle. And then the fascinating thing is where does where do they wind up in the spectrum? This right now is like the peak. This is everyone who loves Lamar is like, ah, I told you. This is what he was all along. 
Now, obviously, that's not true. The question, but he's developed into this. He has by de- the looks of it. He's gotten better, right? Through two weeks. Now it's We've still only him, two weeks, right, but right we've seen now, him get better. Right now, Lamar is playing at the level that everybody who loved him said was going to happen, or thought that he was the whole right, time. And that's just yeah. that's genuinely fascinating. Um, and then, obviously, other young quarterbacks land elsewhere on that spectrum. Yes, yes, they do. Um, Arizona still a fun watch. Kyler still has some ups and downs. I think ultimately Kyler's going to be okay. Yeah, this so this offense is intriguing because they are doing different things to other people in terms of this 10, 11 personnel, splitting people out wide, passing constantly. But they don't the the play designs and the route combinations do not appear to be that sophisticated. Now, I don't know if that's by design, that the simpler we make this, the easier it is to operate. You're describing Chip Kelly's offense, essentially. Right. But it's interesting because you look at what's happening. It's like it's still, it's, it has a degree of success, but almost everything appears to be the same play or the same route. It's like let's toss it up on a back shoulder isolation throw and hope that, we, I hope that our timing, et cetera, is good enough to make that happen. It feels like an offense that is this invested in the passing game and spreading everybody out and running four wide receivers constantly should have a greater degree of interplay between all the routes. Like and Schemed open. Right, and busting guys wide open yeah. because there's that many receivers in patterns constantly. It feels like Kyler Murray should have more open receivers by design than he currently has. Yeah, and he, um, they didn't run the ball at all. So if you're, you know, David Johnson, seven carries for 14 yards. Got hurt. Um and Chase Edmonds, one carry for two. I mean, they had eight, yeah. eight designed runs the entire game, plus a, a Kyler run. So when that's the case, you do need to replace that with some shorter passes, right. open passes, and that type of thing, and you're just not seeing. And I don't yet know if that's like if that's deliberate, if that's the way this is supposed to work, or if it's just, you know, at the college level, you don't need to do that because, like, frankly, you just spread out a defense and expect them all to be on the same page in the Big 12, and you're going to win. Well, that's how Baylor – that was more of a Baylor-ish type of offense in the Big 12, which was spread as wide as possible and run deep. Right. And if you, and if you hit one out of four deep passes, well, you, you flip the field. Right. And in college, you don't even need to run deep. Just by spreading them that far out, they're not going to be on the same page. Somebody's going to be doing something different. Yeah. You just have to find the guy that screwed up. Um, but in the NFL, obviously, things are tougher and things are more defenses are more sophisticated and or on the same page collectively. So you may need to find additional wrinkles that make this easier on yourself. I think a, a lot of the questions here, it's like there's some some a modern twist on the offense as in like, hey, we're going to chuck it around where you're lacking is in the red zone and maybe some of the decision making both weeks where you're kicking too many field goals and you're just not putting the ball in the end zone efficiently on the opposite end of the spectrum philadelphia eagles and doug peterson even though they lost you know so this was this was great this was like as ugly as this game was at times this game came down to coaches decision making and i don't know what our aws coaches decision of the week is going to be but i think it's going to be that fourth and three but doug peterson essentially in a game where carson wentz was horrendous Wentz did salvage things at the end, but Doug Peterson made a decision on fourth and goal. It was like four, from like what the four or five to go for it. When I think most most coaches kick the field goal, so that was a great decision. They they score a touchdown to stay in the game, and then Dan Quinn in the Falcons counter on fourth and three instead of punting the ball away 
late in the game. They're like, no, we got to go for it. And they have a great call. And this was a fun game as far as watching that sticks defense, man, on both sides. Both teams were playing it, just sitting at the sticks on third and ten. And I kept thinking, man, that's like it's kind of intimidating to throw into. But if you just run verts, somebody's not going to carry that well. And that's what started to happen. It was, I thought it was a good little chess match on both, team, I mean, for I, both teams. I tweeted during the game that the Eagles have such an advantage every week by just having the knowledge that they're going to be making the right call most of the time on those, just keep making good decisions. on those fourth down yeah. situations. They have a coach that gets the real-time numbers in his head, gets a heads up, hey, if we hit fourth down, the numbers say go for it. And knowing that they will make those calls – Almost all the time, it just gives you such an advantage over to, and the two point things as well. When to go for the two points, when right. the, when the math says go for it, when it doesn't. Knowing that your head coach is going to make the right call almost all the time on those things, just is so much of an advantage versus teams that consistently lean to the antiquated ideas and therefore make the wrong call almost the entire time and just put themselves behind the eight ball. Like it's it's hard. I mean, you, I'm sure the forecast guys could actually run numbers on it and figure out what that's worth to a team over the years or over the season but it's such an obvious advantage it's absurd that there are teams still bogged down in this quagmire of just doing things the way they've always done it when you can see on primetime tv the difference it makes in, in the so there was a point I, I was i was creating the narrative in my head okay. doug peterson has won the game for the eagles because he made a great decision mm. they scored a touchdown and it essentially gave them a chance to make a comeback in a game where Carson Wentz was horrendous, right? And then, in in the traditional sense, a lot of times it's lopsided. One coach makes good decisions and the other one doesn't. Right. If that had continued, Dan Quinn, he's got fourth and three, he punts it away. Maybe that you know, the Falcons lose. They went from twenty five percent win uh, chance of winning to seventy seven after the Julio screen. This is a game. This is a game that must be absolutely maddening. To uh, five times so. to gamblers because the oh, line yeah. in this game is like what one and a half or something. And it's like literally one play either way decides yeah. this game. Whether it's the Falcons converting that with the screen to Julio, which had you been looking for potential penalties to insert on this, officials you could probably have ping Mohamed Sanu for blocking the back a little early um, or behind oh, in the back, yeah, in the back. Uh, Jake Matthews killed a guy too. He did. Um, but then you have uh, also you got Nelson Aguilar dropping the sideline right after that. Oh, that probably that should have been a touchdown immediately following yeah. it. Like he said, he lost it in the lights. Yeah, that was the hands so were also like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I got it. Guys. That's gonna be harder. But this game, like one play, makes this an yeah. easy cover versus not even close. Uh, so just back to the chess match real quick. A lot of times, so third and ten, the Eagles would just sit at the sticks, and then every and then they just kept. I, I thought the boss did a nice job highlighting it. They'd go zero blitz. Yeah, they're like, who cares that Julio's back there? And then a great adjustment by the Falcons, saying, okay, if you're going to bring the pressure, we're going to run the screen. I don't know if you remember the 2009 Monday Night Football game, Colts and Dolphins, Peyton. This was the game where it's like, if you want to keep the ball out of Peyton's hands, like the Dolphins did it perfectly. I think they had the ball, the Colts had the ball for like 18 minutes. And then in crunch time, Peyton uh, calls an audible at the line of scrimmage against an all-out blitz, throws a screen to Garcon or something like that. He's got the, he gets the game-winning touchdown. It was just classic at the line of scrimmage. I know what's coming. It's an easy throw itself, but it was the the pre-snap stuff that was outstanding by Peyton. That was what this was by the Falcons. Whether it's Matt Ryan or it's you know whoever they had, it looked like they had two calls in the huddle, and they're like, 
you're going to give us a sticks look or you know you're going to play normal coverage or you're going to give us the all-out blitz and we're going to adjust if he gives the all-out blitz it was just great it was just really good Really good football, man. What, what was After it? some really bad quarterback play. Another thing that was interesting in this game was it looked like the entire Eagles offensive line was just getting its ass kicked by, uh, you know, Falcons defense that was, I don't want to say it was handled by the Vikings in week one, but didn't have nearly the same number of problems. But when you look at the grading so far, it's actually what was happening is Isaac Sayamalu was getting owned every single snap and the rest of them played okay. Yeah. Like by and large, the other four members of that offensive line did fine. And Sayamala was just getting absolutely victimized, whether it was in the run game or the pass game. And consequently, it looked like the entire unit was just in pieces. Because obviously, when the quarterback is moved off his spot by somebody, it's usually multiple guys converging on him because you shift him into somebody else's path. Right. right? If you get, if in theory, everybody's blocking for him to stand in a nice open space in a circle, right, of blockers. When one guy forces him to move from the center of that circle, they're forcing him into something else. So it looks like when one guy's getting his ass kicked every play, it looks like the entire line is collapsing because the quarterback is forced to move into other people's pressure. But those guys, their block is fine until the first guy made, you know, screwed up. So, it, you know, it looks one guy getting his ass kicked makes the entire line look worse than it is, is the point I'm trying to get at. There. And, well, and fans just care about our offensive line. It's either it's binary. They're either doing their job or they're not. And if the O line itself gives up a pressure on a play, it's like, oh, the O line was bad. Right, but it's funny how one guy can can immediately make the optics look so much worse. Oh, absolutely. Plus, I think you know, Wentz likes to hold the ball and well, yeah, like when he runs around to his left, took some. He just kept trying to scramble out. I mean, he's he's taking too many hits. He cannot take that many hits. Josh McCown had to come in and uh, make a few plays. There was one weird pot. Did he, you know when he got the shot to the ribs? Yeah. Um, went to the sideline in obvious pain. And they then cut to a, a picture from behind the bench of, like, Wentz still, like, you know, clutching his ribs in pain, talking something out. Nate Sudfeld, I think, is sat to his right, laughing his balls off about something. It seemed like a weird... Like, you know, you, your starting quarterback is the there. Sideline. You don't know what's happening. In, I have no idea what happened. I'm well, just, they, it was like, an interesting. away from playing. It was, no, because he was injured. Oh, he's, he's, oh sorry. He's yeah, in yeah. street clothes. That's right. He's still got the. Right. He's in street clothes, sat behind Wentz, who's like clutching his ribs in pain, talking something out, laughing his ass off about whatever's going on. Oh, that's because that's how Sutfeld got hurt. He was extended a play that he never should have extended, made a big throw and took a hit that he shouldn't. Yeah. It's his fault. It was Sutfeld's fault that he got hurt. It was Wentz's fault that he got hit and also threw a pick on the play. And he's just laughing himself silly, being like, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Now we got old man McCown in there. He seemed very happy about, like, that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not buying that. That seemed weird. healthy by next week. It just, it was such an odd picture that one guy is in pain, talk, you know, clutching his ribs. The other guy sitting beside him laughing himself silly. Um, uh, at a macro level, a fourth and three decision by Dan Quinn may have saved the Atlanta Falcons season. Sure. They're almost. They're about to go down to zero and two. Having said that, that would have only been one game back in this division. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, plus you got you know Breeze injury. Right. Panthers are a disaster. Panthers suck. The Bucks don't look great. Forget it. Didn't Sunday night didn't mean anything. Didn't mean anything. All right. Seattle Seahawks at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Ben Hurt. another injury. He just like randomly wrecked his elbow. Like it just snapped. I don't know if it happened yesterday. I mean, it, 
Are we looking at UCL stuff, Tommy John? Are we looking at just straight just, it's, elbow injury? They showed a replay news? where he just threw the ball and then suddenly went clutching his elbow. We've been on this pod for so long, we've probably got a full diagnosis of Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger. Right, we're like four days later, they're already recovered. Anything on Twitter? I haven't checked. Why don't, you, why don't we find out if we've well, missed anything? Okay, you do that while we talk about what happened. Um, so, yeah, Roethlisberger goes down hurt, snaps his elbow randomly in the middle of the game. Um Pittsburgh obviously just dealt their backup, Josh Dobbs, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now in comes Mason Rudolph. No, no. Mason Rudolph is the backup. That's why Josh Dobbs got traded. Whatever. So now you're in a situation, well, okay, we've gotten demonstrably worse at quarterback because Mason Rudolph is in instead of Ben Roethlisberger. On the other hand, maybe somebody will finally start throwing the ball to James Washington instead of Dante Moncrief because his college teammate is now the guy – at quarterback, and it still didn't really happen. Um, and I would ask, why are we still throwing the ball to Dante Moncrief? Because when it hits him in the hands, he drops it and ends up being picked off. He's like, why is he there? Should have uh, seen him in camp. I, no. You should have seen him in camp? I don't care. I don't care. I want to know why he's on the field and why the ball is not going in the direction of James Washington instead. You know, by so <laughs> the uh, Dante Moncrief had one target yesterday, and it hit him in the hands and ended up being picked off. Gosh, yeah, he screwed that up. Yeah, but James Washington only had like two, I think. Basically, the ball went to Juju or nobody, which is not an ideal Roethlisberger's distribution. I would have said might yeah. need surgery, so it might be. It sounds like it's Tommy Johnish. Tommy Johnish UCL stuff. Okay, so the. The usual di- diagnosis, if they don't give you Tommy John, they'll say like elbow sprain, elbow strain, Yeah, try to like rehab it. Elbow know? strain and knee strains are not diagnoses. They're just like umbrella terms for something jacked in your knee. Right. It's not. It might be torn, but it might not be. So we're going to call it a strain or a sprain. But also that's not like in the least bit specific. Like there's a whole ton of th- stuff in your elbow or knee. A sprain is... That doesn't, that's not good. That like it just means it's soft tissue somewhere. It doesn't tell you what it is. No, it just it means the ligaments. Right, but there's, there's a lot of ligaments torn. in there. Is my point. The UCL It'd be the UCL, and also like a sprain is a tear. It's just a degree of a tear. Hmm. That's my point. It's just an it's an entirely non-specific way of saying there's something hurt in your joint. So this will be interesting for the Steelers. If Roethlisberger misses significant time, you're sitting there at zero and two. That's not great. Um, we liked Mason Rudolph coming out. I thought he showed a lot of good stuff yesterday. Yeah. You know, overall, he was pretty good. I think Mason Rudolph has a future in this league. If you think Big Ben's going to come back and he's going to be your guy for a few more years, you know, Rudolph, you know, this could help the Steelers build Rudolph up and well, potentially flip him. Or are the Steelers looking to the future now and saying, all right, Big Ben's hurt. We're going to lose another year of him, potentially. Mason Rudolph's the guy going for it. Maybe you could flip Ben. To, could you flip Big Ben? I mean, let's look long term for the Steelers. You're zero two. Could you flip him at the end of the year to say the Bears? <laughs> so the Bears are at the end of the year. This is a Wednesday podcast oh here. God. The Bears at the end of the year are like, man, we've got this great defense. We just went eight and eight, averaging twelve points a game with Trubisky at quarterback. I don't know why you're hating on Trubisky. And let's. And Big Ben goes to Chicago. Is he the guy? Could you flip him for a couple firsts or something like that and completely rebuild in Pittsburgh? I do wonder how much they would ask themselves internally when or how much of a pain in the ass Ben Roethlisberger is. 
Because there appears to be a growing consensus that he is at least difficult to deal with at times, right? And that's okay because he's your starting quarterback and he's very good. And, you know, you're prepared to put up with a lot of bullshit from your starting quarterback because it's worth it. But at some point, if he's not playing that well, and if everybody of talent outside of him has been shoved out of the building because at some point that became a problem. Like at some stage, you have to ask the question of when does that become more of a pain than we're willing to deal with? Yeah. And this would, you know, if, if, if Mason Rudolph shows well for the time he's playing, that question, I would say, starts to get asked. But the interesting thing to me is that all the things we said about this offense heading into the year as reasons it would be okay without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell still hold true without Ben Roethlisberger in terms of the situation is still pretty good. Yeah, The offensive line is one of the best in the league and is still intact and have been playing together for a long time. Um, the weaponry, it's still it's still good if they would just you know, deploy it correctly. Like they're now actually the snap wise, Washington and Deontay Johnson have overtaken Moncrief. Now they just need to pass them the ball. Next week. Next week it all right. It's a process. Yeah. So if we now we've taken step one, which is making them play more than Moncrief. If we could take step two and actually pass them the ball sometimes, now we might have some viable receivers. I could see at the end of the year. So as of a few weeks ago, we were saying, look, 28 out of 32 teams probably feel good about their quarterback situation. I just had to manufacture myself a cough button. You're way apparently my cough button. Is, it was better than the it's not last time you tried it. Right, but anybody listening is going you know, to have heard like, you know, me molesting the microphone <laughs> with my hand. As of a couple weeks ago, we thought like 28 out of 32 teams like, hey, they feel good about their quarterback situation. Yeah. But at the end of the year, we could be talking about like the Panthers. Do they have a decision to make on Cam the same way the Steelers do on Ben? The Titans have a decision to make on Marcus Mariota. The Bucks on, J- on Jameis Winston. I think the Bears maybe on Trubisky. I mean, we might see another, you know, like this crazy quarterback market. I wonder if Pittsburgh would uh, would go into rebuild mode and think about that. Anyway, in this game, Seattle goes to 2-0. Uh, excellent game by Russell Wilson. And that was despite an offensive line that did not block very well. You know, kind of old school Seattle Seahawks there. It, so it was funny. This game, like. So Roethlisberger goes down, Rudolph comes in, plays okay, but that kind of seals the game for the Seahawks, right? They're now extending the lead, they're they're getting ahead, and then suddenly, uh, crazy turnover. Devin Bush scoops it up, returns it. Yes, that almost changed the game. Fumbled into the end zone, turned the whole thing over, ends up getting a touchdown, puts this game right back into play. Like we were in the office, and our setup here is we got these three TVs. We get red zone in the middle. We get two games either side. We get some more screens, laptop showing as many games we can. But this was the game that was on one of the TVs, right? And we don't change the channel on that TV because the remote control is wrecked, right? So whatever's on that TV stays on that TV. We until, need to upgrade that. Until we get to the 4 p.m. and we have to change the channel. But we got to like four minutes left. The game's basically out of hand. We're like, all right, it's probably time to change the channel on that one. Literally, as, I, as we get up to walk around the back of the TV where the box is, the Fumble. scoop and, and score thing happens, or scoop and almost score happens. We're like, yeah, okay, let's let's give it a few more minutes. And your boy Rashad Penny had a nice big run. <coughs> he did. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he did. Although that was it. Yeah, <laughs> like, thirty-seven yards. Yeah, the one really nice run. The rest of the time, I really didn't think he looked good. Like he kind of looks like he. I mean. He was never in the most felt of running backs in the world, but he kind of looks like he's carrying some additional timber these days. The Eddie Lacy. Yeah. Um, 
he didn't look good outside of that one big play. And even that was a kind of, all right, I bounced to the right to escape this, and oh, look, there's wide open ground to run into. Now, he showed good speed once he got into it, but, you know, it was basically one cut and open real estate. So I, I still think Seattle, ultimately, their coverage could do them in. But they're yeah. sitting there at 2-0 with they, you know, Wilson's playing really well, and that's going to offset a lot of things. They're in a great spot where they are going to – so, you know, we talk about them constantly. as When you have Russell Wilson, you're basically sitting at eight wins – and then how everything else around them de- determines how far either side of that you're going to move. Yep. Um, they are now in a spot where they just played the Steelers, who lost Big Ben for half the game. They're about to just play. They're about to play the Saints, who are going to be without Drew Brees for the yeah. entire game. Like they're going to run into a couple of the toughest teams in their schedule, minus their quarterback, and they could wind up stealing like a couple of wins out of their schedule based off the fact that the quarterback they were supposed to play didn't show up or last the whole game that's a huge win for that team something to keep an eye on there rapid fire everything else oh, okay chargers at lions every time i looked up the chargers had touchdowns taken off the scoreboard <laughs> lions played some tough d though they did a nice job stafford had a classic up and down stafford game made it, some really nice throws in made some game. really nice throws made some bad ones yeah um ultimately philip rivers bad interception yes to to finish it they're driving Driving to, you know, for the go-ahead score. And he just underthrows Keenan Allen into double coverage. That's not ideal. Uh, no. Not ideal at all. Um, so those pesky Lions, man, sticking around now at 1-0-1. Uh, yeah, which is going to be interesting in that division. Because Undefeated it's Lions. Still, yes, it still remains wide open. Um, 49ers, 49ers, 49ers stomped the living bejesus out of the Bengals. That was more the ba- Bengals. Yeah. That was more the Bengals that I expected. They played right. This they played one, above their skis in week one. This is one of those perfect week two adjustments. Don't get carried away by week one. The Bengals do, in fact, still suck. And the 49ers offense, just when you look up and down, you're going to see really good grades all the way across the board. Garoppolo as well, but it's just everybody. Kittle, it's a bunch of old linemen, it's fullbacks and running backs. You're just going to see pretty good grades across the board because that's what a good Kyle Shanahan offense does. So that was... Um, what we expected, as I mentioned earlier, Jimmy G now has a perfect passer rating when using play action. That is the Shanahan. John Ross with another 100-yard game. Um, Tyler Eifert, I haven't checked the injury report this morning, but he made at least one catch without breaking something. So yeah. that's a bonus. So do the Bengals become sellers? <sighs> I I don't know. I mean, with guys like John, I mean, John Ross, they should probably want him as part of their rebuild. It's It's different when he's like he's emerging in year three. But like an Eifert or something like that might be. Needless to say, um, given the scoreline, but this defense went right back in the tank, having like played well in week one. I'm not saying, yeah, just getting everyone back on the same page again should help. They just got eviscerated by the 49ers. Yeah, this was like old Bengals where it's their linebackers, Preston Brown, Nick Vigil, guys who last year looked a little overwhelmed. Right. Looked, looked overwhelmed. Again. Yeah. I mean, that this this offensive scheme... Again, we'll do that to teams. It's designed specifically to stress defenses, et cetera, open up space, scheme guys wide open. The flip side of that is it means that the defense is inherently put in an ugly spot basically every single play. And when you're already just about trying to tread water to keep yourself not looking like an idiot, this is the kind of defense that will make you look like an idiot pretty quickly. Yeah, credit Bobby Sloak for all that. All Bobby. Good work, Bobby. Um, The Tennessee Titans, speaking of regressing, you know, we said, look, they've been nine and seven the last couple of years. We've seen games like what we saw in week one 
where they handed it to the Browns, made life difficult for the offense. Yeah, they only gave up 19 to the Colts yesterday, but the offense just can't get out of their own way to score enough points Yeah, in another game. It's just this inconsistency. Maddening, man. Maddening. <laughs> Marcus Mariota would be one of the most maddening quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. And he's still showing well statistically this season. Um, but it's just like, like if you're just looking at passer rating, but it's like soft 5.5 yards per attempt yesterday, week one inflated by a 75 yard touchdown. I don't know if there's a next step for Mariota. Right. He's, I think he's going to be one of those quarterbacks. That's just, he is that, and it's never going to go either way. Um, this game also had one of the best stories out of the weekend, which was David Questenberry scoring. Oh yeah. It's fantastic. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, he was a guy drafted by the Texans, right, a couple of years ago. Yep. Had cancer of some kind. I don't remember exactly what it was. Leukemia, maybe, I want to say. Um, anyway, had some form of cancer. Never played for the Texans or maybe got back right at the end, but missed significant time recovering, obviously, from cancer. Gets back, now signed by the Titans. Um, plays one snap as an, ex- <clears throat> as an extra offensive lineman. Scores a touchdown. Fat guy touchdown. It immediately great fat guy coming back from cancer amazing yeah it's fantastic <laughs> also we've uh, identified where the kicker cliff is so uh, for everybody waiting for tom brady to hit the quarterback cliff at oh, 42, it. turns out the kicker cliff is 46 years old for anybody keeping track yeah vinatieri has forgotten how to kick at the age of 46 i was thinking about this so the people are talking this may already have happened by the time people are listening to this unless you're listening live um the Vinatieri is expected by many to announce his retirement today. Basically, just walk away. Oh, like today, 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 Monday. Um, and because he's missed like three extra points in the first two weeks or something, yeah. like legitimately just forgotten how to kick overnight. Um, that would seem like an unlikely thing to happen to somebody. Like if you've been kicking well in the NFL for like twenty five years, you don't just forget how to do it. Like you, you're in a weird spot. Right? I wonder if it's something training wise. Whatever. But as a former professional athlete, <laughs> you just as you get older, uh, you lose the will to train at the same level year over year. Right. Now for me that happened maybe at twenty nine when Major League Baseball became really far away. Maybe for Vinatieri, he's just like, Man, let me just eat donuts instead here. I'm forty five. I'm not gonna forget how to kick. Well, this is my Was he drafted in 96? 95. 95. So where I was just trying to check out before you ended what you were saying. You want me to keep going? Yeah, quickly keep going. Vinatieri ate too many donuts this offseason, apparently. All right, got it. Got it. So Vinatieri, you know how old Vinatieri is? He, when he had his his rookie start, his first start in the NFL, you know where Randy Moss was? In 95? Florida State. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. He is so old. He's still playing in the NFL, and his first NFL start happened. Randy Moss was in Florida State. Hadn't even transferred which to for anyone, yet. Yeah, which yeah. for anyone that doesn't even know, like that's not where he went to college for the majority of his career because he had to transfer out. Randy Moss is known for dominating at Marshall, then getting into the NFL, then dominating the NFL, then going to the Hall of Fame, having sat out for five years. Vinatieri started like before any of that happened, and he's still playing. Where were you in 1995 when he was drafted? Uh, like at school, we in, were in seventh grade, right? Whatever. I was in. Did you guys go to grades at the same time? No, uh, no, it's slightly different. Like the the early end of high school in England, hmm. in the north of England, and I was in seventh grade. Um, that's how old Vinatieri is. But my point is, right? You don't forget how to kick overnight. Like 
you didn't just lose everything you've been doing muscle memory wise for the last million years. And the other thing that's kind of weird is that like Vinatieri is known for anything. It's being clutch, right? He's half the reason the Patriots won a bunch of those rings. He's had a whole second career in Indianapolis. Like if there's one thing that he's been exceptional at over his career, it's clutch, yeah. which would th- would indicate to me a degree of mental toughness. It, would that like if there's anybody would that mental toughness that makes you unfailing self-belief that I'm about to nail this kick and win the Super Bowl, even though all of the pressure in the world is upon my shoulders right at this very moment. Would that same thing not make you think I'm not walking away from this? I'm going to fix whatever it is that's gone janky in the first two weeks and start kicking properly again. Why would that guy go, you know what? I'm done. I'm retiring. Does that not seem weird? I don't know. I, I mean, put, I, I haven't put much thought into. I'm not privy. Kickers. Well, I'm not privy to what goes on in the mind of a professional 46 year old athlete. Um, you're probably closer than me. Closer, yeah. Well, but, I'll let you know in eight years. Right, being both older and a former professional athlete of some kind, I'm about ready to make the comeback. But I, that that. That's a weird juxtaposition to me. A guy who has the mental toughness to make all those kicks. No, I think you just know. When you it just... first starts to go wrong, go, you know what? I'm out of here. Here's here's relatable. I went up to dunk the other day. <laughs> you saw it. I did. I got a bad knee. It's oh, the knee I'm jumping off of. Ugly. My whole body felt <laughs> like I normally feel when I dunk. I can dunk easily. Uh, well, yeah. My body didn't respond the same way. I didn't get over the rim. No, it's amazing. What we like I... to call playing above the rim. Yes. I did not do that. Don't do I was that. playing beside the rim. Watching you attempt to dunk now is actually an amazing uh, case study in physics. Like, so what do you mean? Well, there's three people from PFF that play basketball right now that can dunk. Right, you because you start basically where the rim is. Eric and I'm an incredible who, athlete who broke it out this week. Eric's what six four, yeah. um, former D two blocking tight end. Broke out of dunk this week. First time he's done it in like three years, yeah, he, he said. rattled at home. He got that, yeah. Right. Now he got a few that were clean. Um, and then Renner, who's the most sort of, well, A, he's the youngest and therefore the most like. He's got some explosive. The most current athlete amongst the group, like right? like a 4'8 guy with some explosiveness. Right. So those three people. Now, when you watch Renner dunk, there's this sequence that you'll know from watching dunk videos or anything, right? People, they take these couple of elongated steps. They kind of crouch down to be able to spring up, right? So the last step before the rim is this down, then up spring thing, right? You take exactly the same footsteps, only you don't go up. You just go forwards. <laughs> there's zero there's zero vertical, like, I'll work up. There's, there's no up. Well, I've been looking for things to motivate me now you're in a great spot out. because you don't need to go up because you're already like nine foot tall well, apparently i do because i missed one i <laughs> missed a dunk in the game because my leg just my vertical has uh, disappeared but i'm just saying if renner had the same vertical as you he'd be like three feet under the rim but i i mean you've lost your speed yes. i don't know how uh, how can you not relate to vinatieri your body your brain says i can do this your body does not but you no realize point, it and you walk away but no but the body that's he's not missing him because he doesn't have the leg to make it 25 yards like he's just he's shanking them to the right yeah, accuracy like is, that's a technique issue that's not a my leg has failed spent too much time we're 3 my, hours into the podcast but the other thing is that at no point did i ever have the unfailing self confidence of i am the fastest human being on the planet Therefore, no matter what happens and no matter what evidence is placed in front of me, I will burn you. That that never happened in my brain, right? It was just like, all right, I'm faster than this loser, but I'm not, you know, if I come up against a really fast guy, I'm screwed. <laughs> all right. Buffalo Bills 
are now 2-0. They are. At the New York Giants. Josh as, Allen's playing well. As was the case last year, the Bills' coverage is legit. Yeah. They they have a good defense. Out of all, you know, we talked about defense regresses and all that stuff. Sean McDermott, McDermott has done a fantastic job of, of building that defense. That's going to keep them in every game. And I think we've seen the two sides of Josh Allen through two weeks. Don't say he's playing well. He played well yesterday. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. He's playing well. Last week, I mean, it was turnover machine, and yeah, they still yeah, pulled yeah. it out. And then yesterday, much more efficient Look, and good Josh Allen. I work with the most recent information to hand, and, and right now, Josh Allen is playing well. He was good. We're out of time. We can't get into too many details on this. Okay. Daniel Jones time for the Giants yet? Look, it was Daniel Jones time week one. It's still Daniel Jones time. Like. Daniel Jones' time is happening until Daniel Jones is no longer at the Giants. So, yes. Two more. You know, if Eli loses next week, he'll have a losing record as a starter for Shocking. his career. It's amazing. Isn't it? I'm not a big QB wins guy, but for people that are, that's a real kick in the stones for Eli lovers. Get you in the ballpark. Get you there. Uh, Chicago Bears at the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Um, didn't look like a great game on paper. Wasn't until like the last couple minutes. Yeah. Um, Joe Flacco looked horrendous right up until he executed like a game-winning drive, yeah. and Trubisky didn't make a throw. Trubisky then responded, the final throw. responded with his own game-winning drive, of which the best play might have been f- having someone fall on him. Yeah, that was a bad call, Bradley Chubb. But that might have been the thing that he brought most to the game-winning drive yeah. was being sat on by Bradley Chubb from behind. So the Bears survived because you know kicker kicked a field goal, and apparently we found an extra second for them on the clock. They have that was weird too. I was trying to explain to Kelly. I'm like on a you know on a normal play in the NFL, guy goes to the ground and then it's like if the clock needs to stop, you like two seconds usually right. roll off. Right. Here's the thing. So but they, when you do replay, it's like oh he hit the ground one second. They keep it's rolling like it's it a back. different judge right. of time. They keep rolling it back to be like oh there's a second still on the clock when he's touched down. But surely the point is whenever the first guy calls timeout, like it's, it's not when yeah, it's when it's not somebody dead. calls timeout. And the ref, there's like, it's kind of like the delay of game doesn't happen as soon as it hits zero. The ref has to see it react. So there's an extra second built in. But that in theory, that in theory, that one should happen the second. So I can, the delay of game thing, I can see the argument for saying as soon as that clock ticks zero, the thing should be there, right? In practice, the ref has to look up at the clock, look down to see if it snapped, then blow the whistle. So you get like an extra second, right? But this one, even even in theory, it's not the game is not done. You, somebody actually needs to call timeout, right? So the guy needs to go down, be touched. The play is over. The clock is still running. Now there's the time for somebody to actually call timeout and an official to. You uh, say react. it takes at least a second for the call yes. of the timeout. I'm saying the practicality of actually calling somebody on the field calling a timeout. And by the way, the guy that went down didn't appear to. So somebody other than the one we're looking at called the timeout. You're assuming. You know, Nagy's right there next right. to a ref or something like that. I'm just like assuming that. that whatever that distance is, is like a second and is material time that probably would have taken everything off the clock. So even before you got there, you had the fascinating decision of the Broncos to go for two for the win instead of the tie. Only to then then they have got a, Then they have a delay of <laughs> game. go for two again. They kick it. Buster screen goes offside. And then they get the ball. And that was the interesting thing, too. People had to explain that rule. They went from a two-point conversion at the two. That's what was confusing the crap out of me. And then suddenly they're kicking so from the, the 20. Well, the previous penalty just gets lost in the ether. It's gone. Yeah. Um, so then they got to do the two-point conversion from the one. They get it. They're up 14-13. And the Bears come back and, and make the win. Emmanuel Sanders 
fantastic. Coming back from an Achilles makes a Santonio Holmes-esque catch in the back of the end zone to tie this thing up. Ends up being the guy catching the two-point thing, right, as well. Um, Makes an incredible play. A Bears kicker makes a play, dropping the bomb at the end to actually win the game for them. This was kind of crazy. But by the way, if Uh, you're a Chicago Emmanuel Sanders could be another one of those guys that gets flipped as well. We're talking 0-2 Denver. Is he one of those guys that you... I don't think they're in. I mean, they're in win now at all costs mode. If anything, Denver? Yeah. They shouldn't be. But if anything, they're going to be buying to try and keep their heads above water. And they're 0-2, man. Uh, Well, I know this, but I'm just saying, I don't think think you're going to get too far in that building suggesting that we should get rid of the things that will help us win games this year. Interesting. Um, If you're a Chicago Bears fan... Um, are you coming around to the concept, the self-evident truth that Mitchell Trubisky is not actually good? Or are you still like, are you still head in the sand going, no, no, this will come good. He's young. I've seen both. Okay. I've seen people talking about both. He's been poor through two games. He has not played that much differently than last year. You know what is different though? Um, I think his, I think the degree to which he is bad is now changing what they are trying to do on offense, which in turn is making it even worse. Yeah. So the only good the, the good thing last year was that Matt Nagy comes over with this Andy Reid style offense, which as we said earlier is maybe the best offense in the NFL, and therefore that's putting everybody in a great situation to succeed. And Trubisky just isn't able to take advantage of that the same way Patrick Mahomes or. Um, Carson Wentz is in Philly or Alex Smith was the last year before he left Kansas City and consequently everything's not as good <clears throat> but the offense is still doing the things that makes that a successful offense the problem is so now you're like okay Trubisky isn't able to execute that things are going badly we need to scale it back we need to make things easier for him we need to limit the number of things the offense is able to do maybe that will simplify his reads and he'll play better Problem is, it's not making a play any better, and you've just taken away the things that were making the offense successful in the first place, so everything got worse. That, I think, is what is happening in Chicago right now. The offense is being scaled back to try and make Trubisky play well. It's not working, and all it's doing is making everything else worse around him. Yeah, That's a big problem. He started off slow last year, too, and then had those couple good games that salvaged him statistically. Um, But, you know, it's something else for us to study, I think. If you're if you're a team that feels like you're really close, you've got this really good. I mean, the Bears have what, they've they've scored 19 points in two games. They've given up 26. Yeah, D they're one really and one. Still. Yeah, the D looks really good. Um, this was exactly the position the Jaguars were in in 2017, and they essentially lost a season maybe by reinvesting in Bortles. I don't know if they had a perfect other solution other than you know you pass on Lamar, you passed on Mahomes. It's just and until don't fool yourself until you get the guy right. Speaking of the Jags, it's our final game of the week, Stephen. Uh, well, other than Monday Night Football. We've made it. Um, mustache, Money Minshew, at quarterback, all game long. We had high hopes. Not good until Had high hopes heading into the game, you and know, things were not good. Everybody had saw that picture. Yeah. That was from last year. Yeah, right. Was, I didn't had, think that was... Had nothing to do with him landing turned. in Houston for the game or right. anything like that, and everybody made it seem like he did. He, that was it. Yeah, so he didn't play well. Right up until the final drive of the game where he's driving, gets gets him in, and now you go for two. It's like, we are going to get this done. We're going to win this game. We're going for the win. Minshew's hot right now. It's on. 
Leonard Fournette up the gut, stuffed. Oh, gosh. What is that call? Yeah. What are you doing? The, the funny thing is, has Leonard Fournette ever, ever broken a tackle in his life in the NFL? No, 15 carries, zero yesterday. The best thing Not he seems to do point. is to fall forward over people for a while. Like, even when they get him in space. Like, so you get him in a spot where you're like, Dalvin Cook is skinning this guy alive right now. And Leonard Fournette puts the move on him. Guy still hangs on to his ankles, and he just falls forward for two yards. Sorry, he forced uh, three in week one. Whatever. I don't didn't see him. didn't happen. Um, I'm just saying, at this point, Leonard Fournette up the gut when you've got a quarterback finally catching fire in this drive is a horrible decision. The last three years, Leonard Fournette has averaged 2.4 yards after contact per rush. Yeah. Each of those three Which years. is about the distance that he falls forward when a guy That's is it. tackling. That's pretty much it. Long run of 14 yards so far this year. So, yeah, they um, – yeah, hasn't been good. O-line did not grade well for us. line was bad. Uh, defense played much better than they did in week one. Deshaun Watson was very inconsistent. Um, another story for him as well, too, you know, coming off that Saints game where he made those huge throws down the stretch. He just – you know, he's still just, like, leaving a few too many on the table. And we charged him with two of the uh, – two sacks mm-hmm. on him. Yeah, so. this was like this game for the Texans, I think, kind of highlighted their deficiencies, which is when they go up against a really good defense, they're going to have major problems um, because their offensive line still sucks. And as much as they're able to overcome that a lot of the time because Deshaun Watson is really good and DeAndre Hopkins is really good, and occasionally they can string it together for long enough that it doesn't matter that the offensive line is garbage. Yeah. Um, eventually, that magic just can't happen that consistently, and things will, there'll be a struggle. And all that said, not great grades in the secondary again for Houston, even though they only gave up the 12 points. The deficiencies on both sides, you know, in those two areas are going to be questions for them. So people last week complained that we didn't touch Monday Night Football. Do you want to quickly preview it? And by quickly, I mean really stupidly quickly. People like, touched on it? Yeah. But we previewed it on the Thursday pod. I know, but people don't pay attention to that. All right. So Plus, you our, haven't... our pods now are like nine hours long. They might not have made it that far. Yeah, true. All right. So here we go. Jets and Browns, if you haven't seen it yet. The uh, Sam Darnold-less, mono-afflicted Jets yeah. against Baker and the Browns. No way anybody's going to get to this before Monday Night Football. They might. With the length of this podcast. Well, I'm just saying. Let's, I think the Browns bounce back. Yes. Pretty strong. Here. They have to, right? There's no way that a Trevor Simeon-led Jets offense does anything. No, I mean, it's the same thing we said you know, if you want to over-exaggerate and say, well, look at those Tennessee Titans. Right, this is the classic. Week two is the revert back to where you thought it was. Let's revert yeah. back to where we thought we were, which is the Browns are better than the Jets. The yeah. end. They were better even with Sam Darnold, and now Sam Darnold's out. The Browns should crush them. Yes. That's what I think happens. Good. Done. They're covered. See? Happy? That's our preview? Yeah. I told you it was going to be quick. So there you go. It's our quick runaround. Week two. <laughs> quick runaround. We're getting... <laughs> Look, the people want more content. We're giving it to them. <laughs> We're having fun just talking football. Let us know what you guys want us to talk about more in depth on Wednesday. If we touched on something in this podcast and you're like, hey, man, give me some numbers behind that. Give me some, give me a, a deeper dive. We'll do a little bit more of a PFF deeper dive. Hit on some of the bigger issues on the Wednesday podcast. And we'll be back on Thursday for the week three preview. Mm-hmm. Sound good? Yes. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys Wednesday. Bye-bye. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. 
You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.